problematic that is. Welcome to Problem Addict, a weekly podcast about notoriously problematic pop culture icons from our favorite reality TV shows past and present, music videos, movies, and everything in between. First and foremost, let me just say, I am, I may be over Bravo. Bravo may be the most problematic channel on the face of the earth. I can't quite wrap my head around just how problematic Bravo is. Every time I think they're making amends or the right steps, they do something so awful, so triggering, so upsetting that I, I'm not sure I want to stick to anything on Bravo anymore. Um, I ride hard for Crystal Kongminkoff. There are aspects of her personality that I think mirror my mother so much that it's almost like watching her, my mother, on television. (laughs) Obviously, she's not that rich, but in terms of this complex, independent thinker that wants to do best for her family, means well, may make a wrong decision every now and then, but for the most part really has her children and her family's best intentions at the forefront. And I don't quite understand why people are so anti-crystal. I mean, I obviously I can kind of understand because uh, racism, hello. But Crystal is not that different from so many other housewives that get so much praise and so much love. I don't quite understand why. I mean, racism is such a difficult topic to approach, but what else could it be? And then this whole like Ebony versus Ramona thing kind of blew up earlier today. And then she, Ebony, responded to Brian Moylan's uh, Vulture review uh, recap. And I feel like it's just so tone deaf for a white man to tell a black woman that she's boring or that she's not showing her true self. She's not showing her true self. Well, actually, fuck that. She's showing her true self but because she's coming up with, she's coming, when she shows her true self, she encounters stupid stuff from Ramona, Luann, and all these other, well, maybe not all these other housewives, Sonia to a certain extent, that she can't naturally be herself without bringing these things up, right? It's, it, I have so many thoughts that I just can't quite explain yet. I'm, it's also 1237 AM Friday night. I've had way too much to drink tonight. (laughs) 
tequila, y'all. Um, but I also just wanted to be like really vulnerable and honest and truthful. And I feel like Crystal's been that. Ebony has been that. And now I'm going to follow suit. And I will say that I have had... I hate my body. I have never liked my body. Ever since I was like six years old, I've always had like weight issues. And I feel that because I was, I was, I was an overweight kid. I was a chubby child. I remember many years where like all I wore were elasticized waistbands because that's what my mother bought me. And then I like went through this growth spurt during puberty where like I got taller and I sort of leaned out, but I always felt like a chubby kid. And there was this one instance, uh, I was at a um, Department of Defense school, like an overseas school in Germany, where some girl like pointed out that I sort of had like, I guess tits, (laughs) because I was chubby. And she like mocked me in front of this home ec class and it like always kind of made me ashamed of what my body looked like and then as I got older I was never really pleased with how my body appeared to other people I sort of vacillated on this scale of uh, what do they call um as a gay man I guess I could be as if I were a straight man I would be considered skinny (laughs) but as a gay man I was considered fat and that really really messed me up for so many years it messed me up even to like my late 30s where I was once dating this guy in San Francisco we were lying in bed and he like grabbed like my stomach and he said you know you'd be really attractive if you were fitter and I was like we're naked in your fucking bed right now and you're gonna criticize my body you fucking old motherfucker. Fuck you. I once... There was also this guy back when... I guess through that really awkward coming out stage. Um, I was probably 20, 21, maybe possibly 22. I was definitely still in college. And this guy I sort of met in this AOL chat room... And I were like corresponding back and forth. We had a really, what I thought was a really nice first date um, at some park in Ridgewood, New Jersey. And then like a couple weeks later, we had this like huge fight or this like argument where he told me he was super closeted. And he told me that I was the perfect person for him if I was a girl. And I think that's the most hateful thing anyone's ever said to me. It's so hateful. It's so... It's so fucking homophobic. And I can't believe I let him say this to me. Because I was not at a place at that age to stand up for myself and let this white boy tell me that my worth was meaningless because I wasn't a a woman. I wasn't a female that could bear children. And that's... That was important to him. That was important to his family. And it just wrecked me. It wrecked me so much that I had nothing to live for 
when he told me that because on the surface I was smart I was kind I was funny but I lacked a vagina and that made me non-desirable or undesirable to this closeted asshole and I hated myself for that I hated myself because I I I honestly loved this boy he was like my first love and to hear him say that I was perfect except for my sex my gender really like tore my heart out and it took I mean, I moved to fucking California afterwards because I just needed to remove myself from his, like, grasp. And it took me almost, like, almost 10 years of living across the country to really come to terms with the fact that it's not me, it's him. It was all him. It was, he was so unhappy with his life, which made me unhappy with where my life was, that I put my life on pause to move across the fucking country where I almost had like no friends, no job prospects, but I wanted to get out of New Jersey or New York because he just had this hold on me. And I'm, I can't believe that I basically put my life on pause. I didn't date for almost fucking 10 years because I was so, I was going to become everything that this boy wanted but I couldn't become a woman because I wasn't. And now he's happily married with his fucking dogs in the suburbs of New Jersey. And I'm happily married with my dog, (laughs) not in the suburbs of New Jersey. But it really made me think that like, so many of our past actions make us who we are today. So I want to say to that boy and that man in San Francisco, I hope you guys have really sought some help because I like who I am and it took me 43 years to almost realize that I am okay. You guys were the mistakes in my life. I feel like I've never had anyone in my corner that looked like me, sounded like me had a background like me. And finally, I see someone on television that I think mirrors a lot of the same dreams, fears, aspirations, horrors that I've felt in the past. And to me, that is Crystal. I may never like my body. I... I don't think I ever took my shirt off in public until probably until I was like 15 years old. And even then I still felt that. So this is a crazy story, but when she said that she felt violated, I completely understood what that felt like because almost every single day in high school I was violated. And this is just... No, actually, I'm not even going to, like, make it as small. I'm not going to make it a small issue because this is, like, a major thing that I feel I've never really gotten over. But I went to a very, very special... 
I went to a specialized high school in New York City, which means that you had to basically take a math and a verbal test to test into this school. And if you didn't pass a test, you weren't going to get admission in. So luckily I passed. I started, I started my high school experience, and I really didn't know anyone at this high school. I did not go to middle school in the States. I, went, I was in a Department of Defense school overseas in Germany. So for 6th, 7th, and 8th grade, I didn't have any friends that came with me to ninth grade. Actually, no, I got to Stuyvesant at 10th grade. So even at ninth grade, I had no friends in ninth grade. But in 10th grade, I tested into this school where I was going to spend like the rest of my high school uh, high school experience, my, my, the, the next three years of my high school at the school in lower Manhattan that was predominantly Asian. I would say, I think in 96 when I graduated, it was like at least 70% Asian, uh, the student body. And we were never cool. Like I was never part of the cool kids. We may have thought we were cool, but we were still quite nerdy. But the kids in school, or at least the group I was close with, made me feel so small. Because what they would do is they would chase me around the school halls and like grab my nutsack while trying to make me whistle, which I could, I can't, I had braces in high school. I, I still can't whistle. I've never been able to whistle. But this was a, this was a completely different foreign experience from any other middle school like prank I had ever gone through. To have strangers or guys that I had kind of known on a very like superficial basis almost attack me in a way that I've never been attacked at because I, I have no siblings I don't have a, any older brothers I don't know what it's like to be picked on that sounds so selfish but I I've never I was the golden child in my family so when I got to high school it was a completely different experience where I was the brunt of these jokes. So some of these kids from my school would chase me around. My my grade would chase me around and like try to like either pull down my pants or like grab my nutsack trying to make me whistle. And it was like an attempt at my nutsack. Like no one ever really grabbed my nuts, but it was just like, hey, in that general crotch area. And then to try to whistle on the floor, wow, like in that four minutes between classes was just such a weird experience because it might have been their way of showing me that I was accepted and cool, but I felt violated almost every single instance because they were picking on me and it made me feel like an other. And all my life I felt other. As a black Korean, I am always going to be an other. I've never been. I've never been around other people like me. So I didn't stand up for myself. I let them do this for almost my sophomore year, my junior year, and my senior year. And it really never, like dawned on me how fucked up this was. It also never really dawned on me just how fucked up it was that 
these Asian kids I went to high school with would drop N-bombs like it was nobody's business. If I'm not mistaken, I think there might have been less than 10 black kids in my grade. There might have been 10, 10 to 12 probably, but not many. So if I'm not mistaken, I think there were like 700 kids in my grade, about 2,000 kids in the school. So just imagine if you're 70%, if the entire, if 70% of the school is Asian, you're not going to get a lot of black and Hispanic kids. We had a lot of white kids, a lot of Jewish kids, a lot of kids that, you know, like just wanted the best education that they could get for free. I went to a public, a free public New York City high school. So it's really disappointing that we weren't treated the same because we were othered. And I wonder how, if I hadn't gotten picked on in high school, my life would have been different. Because when Crystal says that she felt violated, I completely understood what she felt like because I was violated almost daily for three years. My body is my own. Don't touch my body. My privacy is my own. Don't invade my privacy. I don't know you. You don't know me. Let's keep an arm's length until we can establish some sort of rapport and really get to know each other. And after what I considered a really, really great start to a Top Chef season, Top Chef Portland, I cannot believe the BS that happened at the Top Chef finale. This... There are conflicting reports, and no one really knows the truth, I guess. But to hear that someone, someone that won Top Chef, who two months later got fired from their restaurant for misconduct of whatever that means, whether, I mean, I don't necessarily care if it's sexual misconduct, harassment, or just inappropriate behavior it's wrong and in this in today's age i am so disappointed in bravo for not making sure that they screened their their chef testants better their housewives better anyone on their casts need to be screened thoroughly because I am utterly sick to my stomach about what happened on Top Chef Portland. I think we had two chef testants that could have carried on and been great ambassadors as winners. But no. You guys. And I'm blaming Tom Colicchio, Padma. And even Padma wrote what I consider... You know, now that I think about it, maybe the tweet isn't as moving or impactful. Let me actually see if I can pull it up. When I read this tweet last night, I could not believe it. Um, and her tweet reads, 
As someone who has been sexually harassed, this topic is a serious one and merits openness. We filmed Top Chef in October of last year and were not aware of the allegations now coming out about blank. That should be invest- this should be investigated and the network should consider its best action. To be clear, this is the follow-up tweet, to be clear, no one has alleged sexual harassment on the record or otherwise to Bravo Top Chef and we judges didn't have any indication of inappropriate behavior from blank during blank's time on set. Um, this, this is not good, Padma. (laughs) It's not. It's just so disappointing because because I feel like you honored a certain someone over two very, very deserving chef testants. And bravo, you guys should have done better. This is a complete shit show. This is a complete shit show, and it completely ruins your brand. I may never watch Top Chef again because there is so much fuckery going on over there. So... You know what it is? I think when I read Padma's tweet, it took me back to a place where I was a scared individual, a scared young child at summer camp where my tummy hurt my tummy hurt so much i guess i ate something bad and then a counselor took me back like piggybacked me back to a cabin a male counselor took piggybacked me back to a cabin and then under the sort of premise of comforting me like undressed me got into the bunk like the bunk bed with me and like did inappropriate things that I've almost blocked out for like 20 fucking years so So whenever someone takes advantage of someone, someone that just, someone unable or too young to really like stick up for themselves, I get really, really angry. I get so heated because it takes me back to like being seven years old and knowing that something is completely wrong, but not being able to explain or verbalize why it's wrong. And this is so fucking wrong. And I think because this whole like this whole like Cosby thing is also like happening this weekend or I guess Thursday Friday it's I'm going away I'm I'll be on Long Island this weekend so I probably can't record but I just need to, I have so many things on my chest that I just wanted to like release <laughs> before I go out to Long Island and celebrate the 4th of July with like my favorite 14 year olds <laughs> um, watching Outer Banks <laughs> it's 
it's a travesty, it's a tragedy, it's fucked up, it's... I just want... I want some accountability from the networks that I watch a lot of. And I feel like Bravo has completely just, like, lost the bag in terms of keeping people accountable, responsible for their actions, or why certain people on certain casts are held to different standards than everyone else. Yeah. Um, I think it'd be really weird to, like, start <laughs> recapping the encore, but because I won't be around this weekend, if I don't do it tonight, <laughs> it won't be done, and... This is a pretty interesting episode. <laughs> so, um, let's get into it. Uh, this week's episode of The Encore was called Questionable B, and this is also tied into my nickname in high school. My nickname in high school was Questionable. <laughs> the guy, the, the sort of like, crew I was part of like they just called me questionable because my friends knew even before I did um I hated this nickname I I hated this nickname because I knew what it was implying and I didn't want to admit that I was a homosexual to myself back in 93 because because Every other day of 93, I was praying to God to not make me or to turn me into a straight man. Probably every day from like, I started going to church when I moved back to New York to probably when I stopped going to church, when I told my mom, uh, these kids are not nice kids. <laughs> so I stopped going to that church. Um, Korean churches are... They're basically like gossip central cities. It's so much. That's that, let's save that for another podcast. Um, so I hated my nickname questionable back in 93, 94, 95, 96. Um, but I kind of wear it with a badge of honor now. <laughs> um, I almost called this podcast questionable, um, but I didn't think anyone would really get it. <laughs> I, I also think it leads more to, hey, you ask me questions, and then I answer them because I'm question-able. <laughs> um, anyway, so, like I said, back in 96 when I graduated from high school, like, gay rights and coming out weren't, like, the prime issues they are today. They were, like, gaining a lot of momentum. If I knew that there was at least one out lesbian in my grade, and maybe, like, one out, bo like, boy but no one really else. So, um, The Encore is like the only show <laughs> that I kind of want to Shazam the intro music between the scenes, those like transition scenes. I want to Shazam like on the app, all of those, because some of these songs are like really good. You know, those brief, I guess, like less than five to eight second clips <laughs> of songs that you'll probably never hear ever again um, but you kind of wouldn't mind hearing again the encore is full of those um, i think i've also noticed that 90 day fiance or maybe it's married at first sight 
um, has some really good quality music transitions. Um, so I actually <laughs> went back to watch the encore uh, on, I guess, on YouTube, right? BT plays on YouTube sometimes. Um, like if you have a cable subscription uh, to Shazam those actual songs. And um, so the encore starts with the song about being trouble. It's like, I'm trouble, I'm trouble. Uh, and it's like really good foreshadowing. Well, that trouble song is by a band called Criminal, uh, C-R-M-N-L, like criminal without any vowels. So that's, so go out and listen to that. So Aubrey starts off by um, saying at the dinner table that nobody really understands how to get control of the situation. And I kind of ask myself, but you're the queen. So, like, why can't you control the situation? They voted you to be the queen, so you are the leader. But you're not leading anything, Aubrey. Shamari confesses, uh, or she does a confessional uh, in this tie-dye look that I think is new. Uh, and she says that the girls are still dealing with some of the past issues from their time in girl groups. Um, all this sort of former difficulty in their own bands is sort of transferring into today. And it's kind of ruining the entire experiment. Um, and I think she says, if we don't figure this out quick, we're not going to have a performance. I think Shamari needs to be the queen. I think she'd be a really good one. And I think she might, I think she should be the queen for the next like three weeks. Um, she really wants this. She really seems to, yeah, she seems to really want to make this work more so than anyone else, I feel. But then Aubrey says that she wants this to work, but after the dinner table, oh, I'm sorry, Aubrey says that she wants this to work, but after the dinner table blowout, um, she's really sort of changed her mind about the position of Queen. Clearly, this is not a group of women that are on the same page. So she says that she's over it and she heads up the stairs. <laughs> and this is the first time we get the like people using the hot tub. Frick and Frack go out to the hot tub. They take a dip in the hot tub and um, Frick or Frack says that this is straight up bullshit. And I agree. I think because the fight, like the major fight, like this blow up argument was the last episode and we're seeing the aftermath in the beginning of this episode, it feels a little, I don't know. It feels not as intense, holds no impact. Um, since we're not really seeing why everyone is mad, we just have to remember why everyone is mad. Um, and Frick or Frack shades Lamisha by saying that uh, her and her sister are more talented than Lamisha. And she kind of makes a comment to the producer like, hey, did I say something like wrong? <laughs> and somehow Elijah ends up in Aubrey's bedroom and I need a timeline. I need a strict timeline telling me the comings and goings in and out of this music mansion. They're having a conversation about freaking frack in, um, in the house and like their huge egos there's got to be some wonky editing going on. Um, Franken editing, I think they call it on The Bachelor. <laughs> Did Aubrey go upstairs and change and she's now talking to Elijah? Or was this conversation from the night before when Elijah and Kosan came by, but no one was prepared like to record in the studio, so it like wasted their entire night? I don't know. 
Elijah tells Aubrey in terms of success, the twins have had the least amount, so who's throwing who under the bus now? <laughs> and Elijah's wearing a jumpsuit. I think it's a jumpsuit. And it's not unlike Missy, uh, Missy Misdemeanor's garbage bag outfit. It's close. And I think he might have stole it from Giselle Bryant's closet. <laughs> Did I say that out loud? Um, it's It's kind of interesting but it's kind of bad <laughs> um so irish comes in and uh, into the bedroom with aubrey and elijah and then elijah leaves and apparently aubrey and irish are super close so close in fact that irish jokes if we were gay <laughs> and then she kind of laughs it off so yeah keely calls aubrey the devil she says this to either Frick or Frack. I can't tell the difference sometimes. And that she's not going to mend any riff with um, with Aubrey. And then Aubrey and Keely get into a shouting match in the kitchen. I guess they haven't spoken in years, apparently. And then Keely claims, I think in her talking head, that before they got into the house, Aubrey was texting or DMing her. Like, all friendly and shit. And, like, that sets Aubrey off. Aubrey says that Keely hasn't done anything anything since she entered the music mansion and that she's full of shit and she calls her a gossipy ass, messy ass bitch. And she's, she kind of is. Uh, Shamari, though, is a beacon of optimism and hope. I'm like quickly falling in love with her. <laughs> Did she display this much common sense on Housewives of Atlanta? Maybe because she displayed this much common sense, they didn't renew her contract. Is that what you did, Carlos? Actually, Carlos wasn't even, like, Carlos King wasn't part of that production, right? Um, Shamari's season on Atlanta, I think. Wasn't Phaedra his last season? Someone correct me, please. And at seven minutes into the episode, we get our first Navia talking head. And she's commenting on this girl fight. There is not enough Navia in this episode. Not enough her, too much Keely. So everyone gathers around, um, and they're watching the, the video screen, and Sita tells them that they need to think of a name for the group. And I think this is, like, really where the show starts. <laughs> um, there's a lot of chatter, and um, they're, like, throwing off these, these names, these not-so-good names. Devolve. Dissipate. Disintegrate. The Misfits. Uh, and then somehow they don't decide, like, like to really like finalize a name <laughs> they'll just like keep thinking about it so freaking frack finally decide to apologize to misha and uh lamisha says that i want to believe the twins but i still don't trust them so prepare for another argument in the future kids uh the next song we hear in the transition queue is a song called work i I forget how it goes, but it's kind of like work, 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 but not like in the Rihanna kind of way. Uh, it's by an artist named Stella, Stella Mwangi, uh, Stella M-W-A-N-G-I. It's a good song. Go check it out. It's on Spotify. Uh, so then Pam heads to the studio and um, tells Keely that she's going to be down there. And I loved this inside glimpse of how music happens. I am not musically inclined. I took piano. Well, I was forced to take piano. I was forced to take violin lessons, but I could never sing. So I was just in 
utter awe of this entire segment. Pamela writes these beautiful lyrics, um, although I think the lyrics should be, you are the God above, as opposed to you are the God in heaven. I just think God above just sounds better than God in heaven. Sorry, I won't say. Um, But do you, Pam? Do you? She's full of surprises, right? (laughs) Uh, And Pam seems really open to feedback, and she kind of encourages um, Felicia's input, and that's really, that's kind of nice to see on on television. No one ever wants feedback from somebody else, right? Um, And she's very open to collaborating with Felicia, who is, I guess, writing the music, or like composing the music, while Pam is concentrating on the finishing the lyrics to the song. So one by one, they all come down to sing. It's going great, but it's going so great that Pam gives uh, a fist bump to Keely. <laughs> Sorry, no touching. Um, that's a throwback to Arrested Development. I love that show. Uh, and then Aubrey confesses, I don't blank with this. Uh, the people that blank with me won't blank with this song. She's being a little anti, um, a little Debbie Downer, a little you know, like, rude. And this hasn't really been addressed, but is Keely really not going to sing at all? What is her purpose in this house? She's not actively creative directing or singing or learning the choreography, so she's just wearing silk PJs and drinking wine. So if the Queen Mandate states all the girls need to sing, we can assume that that already, we can assume that already they're not going to succeed in this mission, right? I'm so confused. TJ Lavin from The Challenge would never let this happen. And who was this random producer in the studio? He's wearing a mask, like a uh, like a proper mask and glasses. It's not Elijah, it's not Cosine. But he's recording, or he's like at the soundboard. Um, whatever. So Pam starts to cry... <laughs> And Keely attempts, and I say attempt because she doesn't. Uh, she tries to reach out and comfort Pam by putting her shoulder, by patting her shoulder, but she pulls her hand back so quickly because Pam has just expressed that she's not into that gay shit. Um, yeah. So new talking head is Kite. Kylie, Keely with bangs, and is this the first? I don't think we've seen Keely in this like flannel shirt with bangs. Yeah. So once again, Keely says, as creative director, and I'm going to stop here and uh, explain. Did someone please explain to me? Did Keely say? Did the girls say that she could stay on and be the actual creative director because she's not creative directing anything? Aubrey has done it already. Because I don't think they've reached an agreement. And as Keely tries to explain the creative direction of the group, here comes Aubrey with her vision board. And Aaliyah, the choreographer, says these are amazing ideas to Aubrey, which you know pisses off Keely so much. More girls join them, and Shamari mentions she wants to sing on Skeletons, the song. And um, Aubrey lies and says that she's going to change for a rehearsal, but she basically runs out of the room, all pissed that she's not getting what she wants, and she never comes back. Uh, I forget who it was, but someone says who died and made her queen. Well, guys, I mean, ladies, you all did. Well, most of you did. 
I'm a faggot that loves chair choreography. Like ever since Janet Jackson's Rhythm Nation 1814, I'm all for dancing with chairs. <laughs> so I, I, I kind of like this choreography that Aaliyah Janelle is showing. Uh, Frick, Frack, and Shamari, I guess, <laughs> for skeletons on the chairs. Uh, work hard, play hard. There's a music transition, and it's a song called Cocky by Callie the Goon. And um, <laughs> Callie the Goon has 45 monthly Spotify listens. How did he get the song featured on the encore? He must know someone. <laughs> I did not expect to be rooting for Pam and her gospel career. I'm so conflicted. I'm... While I'm glad she's making music that brings joy to her heart, I want hits, jams, bops that I can blast in my car <laughs> or like through my headphones. And this is not it. But her voice does sound really good. I will, I will admit that. Everyone in the house is asking, where's Aubrey? So Elijah goes to check in on her in bed and she comes down to sing and she can't nail the notes at all but they say that you know she's rapped so whatever and then cinnamon comes in she's the vocal coach um and i think there is also some more franken editing happening is this the same night a different day uh, is this morning who knows it's very hard to say it's literally all the girls but aubrey in the studio listening to the songs that they've done Cinnamon says that Pam's gospel song is fire. Cinnamon says that Aubrey's timing for Skeletons, that song isn't right. And I think to myself, isn't timing easy to fix in post-production? Like if the vocals sound good, I don't think it'd be hard. It, I don't think it'd be that hard to clean up the timing, right? But I'll leave that to the experts. Shamari confesses that she's not into the idea of replacing Aubrey completely on the song. And let's not forget Shamari. Cinnamon has been Shamari's vocal coach since she was a teenager. Um, Shamari's not the girl that's going to take over like some singer's entire like verse. She's not that girl. And maybe Shamari is way too normal for reality TV. Like, at least in this Bravo sphere, so she's better off in BET. <laughs> Bravo has got me so heated right now that I just... I don't even want to say it anymore. I may just stop following them. <laughs> uh, I don't see Navia in this room, though, so maybe not all the girls are in there. Um, I know this because if she was in this room, we would get close-ups on her facial reactions. But we don't see them, so she's not. <laughs> So after a break, we see Aubrey come into the kitchen and say hello to the girls. And once again, I have no clue if it's nighttime, daytime, afternoon, especially because Lamisha says she's, and she meaning Aubrey, is gone all day and shows up at nighttime in full makeup. What? Aubrey announces because of the queen mandate, there's going to be a party tonight. However, she won't be attending the party because she has a stomach ache. So she selects Irish as the interim queen, which makes sense um, since we saw that scene between them earlier and they're like super close. She also, Aubrey also says that she hasn't slept in a couple of days. And I'm like, uh, come again? I think you've been sleeping for the past five days, Sleeping Beauty or Sleeping Aubrey. All you do is sleep. 
there's some game with cards at this party and as long as it's not a murder mystery or an axe throwing party i'm okay with it uh because that's all bravo seems to be doing murder mysteries axe throwing pumpkin patch hayrides um but the execution is a little underwhelming they ask like questions like who's your secret celebrity crush pam says lenny kravitz i guess my i don't have any secret celebrity crushes i have celebrity crushes but no one have a you know actually for a little bit mm, no i'm not gonna reveal that uh fricker frack has these like tiny legs i noticed at this party um the one that has like this, this like black fringe on her top um like her blouse <laughs> but like these really teeny tiny legs underneath the skirt she reminds me of Sutton Strack from Real Housewives of Beverly Hills and I can't stand her um on my screen like the proportion is so off like these little like matchstick legs with this like larger upper body I feel like she's gonna like fall over they also ask what the most embarrassing moment on stage is with these cards. Uh, I guess Navia talks about... I guess Navia's clothes fell off once <laughs> during a show. Uh, and then Shamari actually fell off the entire stage once. So, yeah. Glad she wasn't hurt. So this is essentially a summer camp slash corporate retreat trust exercise. <laughs> you start to learn more about other people. You become vulnerable and just start trusting each other more, I guess. And the last question is, who in the house should be replaced? And of course, Lamisha is the first we see uh, have like a really nasty response because she doesn't trust Frick or Frack and she is sure that they're going to name her. And after we come back from break, the twin says, one of the twins, Frick or Frack, says that the queen should be replaced. And this got a little confusing to me. I watched this a couple times and it seems like I, the first time I watched this, I thought that Keely was calling Aubrey a cancer, but I think it's actually Aubrey is talking on the phone to her friend calling Keely a cancer. And this is funny because she says, quote, she's a cancer. So everything is tears, drama, and chaos, highs, lows, and not for nothing, more than half the girls here can't do two counts of eight. It doesn't not, it doesn't make them not a star but they're not dancers. And I want to be in a group of dancers, Aubrey says. This confused me. Um, be, I mean, I guess Aubrey's a, is she, is she a good dancer? Uh, whatever. So once again, they're thinking about names again, and uh, revolution is thrown out. Femme is thrown out. And I don't like any of these. <laughs> We cut over to Aubrey back on the bed, talking on the phone with her with her friend, and she says something along the lines like, there's like some mental health shit happening. And it's a throwaway line we don't really sit with for a long time, but the fact that she says it and they left it in must be for a reason, right? And then somehow Navia says that, you know, we got to come up with a name that... Uh, that means something to us, you know, like like Blueprint or something. And I hate it. I think that Blueprint needs like a better spelling, a fun spelling. It. I think Blueprint is a good album name. Didn't 
doesn't Jay-Z have like Blueprint 1 and 2? Um, but I don't think it's a good name for a group, but Blueprint. Blueprint doesn't seem like a female-fronted band to me, or a woman, like a girl band to me. And we get more Aubrey complaining to her friend on the phone. Um, and next week, we get Ronnie DeVoe surprising Shamari and some missing bed drama with Aubrey and Keely. So I'm super excited. Um, next week, I think I will try to see if a 14-year-old will talk about Outer Banks with me, but I feel like a teenager is not going to want to sit in a room with me. <laughs> God, that sounds so weird. Um, over the 4th of July holiday, <laughs> talking about a show on Netflix. Um, so we'll just continue on with the encore next week. And um, stay tuned for the challenge. And I have some very... I have a bonus episode I'm working on about handbags. <laughs> uh, for some special listeners out there. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'm really excited about that. That's got me in a really good good mood. Um, so yeah, thanks for listening. Hey, all you problematics, thanks for listening. Check me out on Instagram. I can be found at problematic pod. That's problematic pod. And leave me a five star review on Apple Podcasts. Check you next time. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>